Hey guys, David here. Before we get into the podcast with Dan, I just want to apologize. The audio on this episode isn't so great. We had some unfortunate internet issues today. While we, I've done my best to clean up the audio and make it sound okay, and there was nothing lost in the audio. Everything that was said is audible. It's just not the best audio quality. So sorry for that, but it was still an abs fire episode with Dan. Dan is an abs and he's gotten me really excited about the sector of algorithmic stable. There's a ton of good information podcasts. I hope. Welcome everyone to State of the Nation. This is a weekly podcast and video cast that David and myself do where we talk about what's happening. We relate it to the big picture stuff and we drop some insights and action items. Today's topic is all about uncollateralized, algorithmic, stable coins. What the heck these things are. David and I both want to know. So we brought on our friend Dan Elitzer to tell us all about it. We will get to that shortly. David, it's it's good to be back from the holidays, man. We're, we're coming back and crypto is roaring, my friend. How are you doing? I'm doing really good, Ryan. 2021 has already shaped up to be a banger year for crypto and we are just four days into it. So much has happened in the last few weeks and I'm pretty sure that trend is only going to continue into 2021. We are seeing so much innovation happening, especially in the realm of algorithmic uncollateralized stablecoins. That is a brand new field that we are exploring today here on the State of the Nation with Dan. I have a ton of questions to ask about how these systems are built, how they're designed, how they are maintained, and how they maintain peg, how they maintain security. Uh, so it really should be a really interesting conversation, and I'm excited to see what happened in the world of uncollateralized stablecoin 2021. Yeah, I have have uh, probably just as many questions as, as most of the, the folks listening and watching today. So it'll be it'll be good to talk about them. As usual, guys, if you're watching this on YouTube live, you can ask questions as we record this of Dan uh, or ourselves. We'll try to get to those questions as we can. We've also got some new stuff going on in the nation, David, as usual. So we just released another episode with Vitalik where we Talk about three of his um, articles, basically, or actually two articles, and then we talk about the the, the launch of ETH 2.0. Fantastic episode that came out Monday. Make sure you catch this. I make it a habit of listening to every single Vitalik episode I can. Uh, oftentimes, listening to it multiple times, they're just so deep and uh, interesting. David, any takeaways from that one? Every time we talk to Vitalik, I just learned so, so much. And I, I often listen to the podcast back, even though I was there when we recorded it, I listen again because Vitalik is just so incredibly precise beat that he often packs so much punch into a single sentence that I don't really always grasp it time around. And so listening to it a second time or sometimes even a third time has always been really, really, uh, really, really helpful for, for me. being precise in my speech is something I definitely aspire to. And it's a skill that Vitalik has mastered extremely well, both in speaking and in writing. I'm, I'm quite impressed by it overall. And the episode that we recorded with him, it goes through his Why Proof of Stake article, uh, which is uh, came out in November, really, really timely, especially for people that are staking their ether on the beacon chain or intend to stake into the future, or just have questions as to how Ethereum came to be where it is today and sign principles and sign those behind Ethereum behind stake. Vitalik does a great job 
job laying down the arguments for proof of stake, the thesis and theories, ethos behind stake, why it was chosen, why it was corporate. And then we also get into his uh, his other article, Concave and Convex Disposition, which kind of actually does a really good job helping me formulate my uh, theories as to why this space is so tribal. And, and Vitalik categorized uh, or offers an explanation as like people are tribal because of these different dispositions and how they think. And he characterizes them as convex cave. Understanding how kind of like the cards have fallen in crypto space uh, through that lens also been. Absolutely. We also just released a new weekly NFT newsletter. So if you're subscribed to Bankless, you can also subscribe to this. Uh, fungible tokens, so uh, digitally scarce uh, art uh, items, um, virtual worlds, this sort of thing, all in sort of the, the metaverse. We think that's going to be a huge investing theme, crypto theme, and DeFi theme for 2021. So I want to keep you up to speed. We'll include a link in the show notes and subscribe to that as well. Lastly, we've got Chris Dixon, who is the uh, the manager of the Horowitz Crypto Fund. He's coming on the past. Let me see, tomorrow, right, David? So we're lining that up. Um, that will be released the following Monday. So catch that next week. Of course, you get it early through our Bankless uh, subscriber premium member, but I'm really excited about that episode with Chris. David, any any thoughts as we go into that episode next week? Yeah, Chris to me is somebody that gets it. Uh, he had a talk uh, about the different price cycles, the hype cycles of crypto, which we know that that's how these things happen. Uh, and so I think I'm focused on asking Chris, okay, we are clearly moving into a new cycle. How is this cycle the same? But also more importantly, how is is it different? Like, why will this fourth cycle of crypto be different? What will be the news that come out of it? Um, is, are there any, is this just going to be another bubble or are we actually going to be able to sustain some of the growth? Uh, is this bubble going to be marked by speculation? The other ones, or is there something, are we able to build foundation time stand on to make sure that um, speculation turn real products? I think we're definitely seeing that with Bitcoin. Bitcoin is no longer a tool to only speculate. Some actually gave cash rather than number up. The dollar is being distorted. Uh, and so that's definitely a huge theme that I think talk Chris about. Um, but he also is very much a uh, into the world of technology behind Bitcoin. And he, he his line is that I am not a um, blockchain, not Bitcoin person, but I think he does see a lot of value in blockchain technology, quote unquote, as well as all these other technology, social tokens, social token, DeFi, you know, the whole gamut, right? He thinks that blockchain and software can really extend the whole rest of the world. And I have that as well. I think, you know, if you can do something in the legacy world better using crypto, uh, I think that. Yeah, very cool. All right. Before we get into the main event, the main topic with Dan, I've got to ask you the question. We always start with David. This is the first time I'm asking you this in the year 2021. What is the state of the nation right now, David? The state of the nation this week is validated. We are validated as a nation. Obviously, when crypto prices go up, when the market goes up, when the market agrees, you feel validation about investing. It's very nice to feel that, right? Like imagine if we had like the Bankless podcast and it's like talking about all going on like Uniswap, Balancer, DeFi, staking, yet all of the assets stayed the same price for years on end. That would be unvalidating. Uh, that would be very bad. Uh, but instead, the opposite is happening. Like assets are going up in price. People are getting into the ecosystem. People are starting to uh, see the value in DeFi, see the value in big value staking, uh, and really just start to incorporate that into their mental model. See uh, both both negative, but also positive regulation come out that helps protect. And saw that with the comptroller news yesterday. Um, and then and then also, I think what else is being validated is, I, I know you believe this as well, Ryan, and I definitely believe that the design space for options for just building anything, theory, optionality of stuff is being explored 
aggressive. And that's what we're seeing with algorithmic stable conversations that we're going to have. But the point is like, if you can build something, going build. And we are seeing the constraints around building stuff being moved. We are seeing, and that feels very valid. I've always been a exponent things being built. I think that new layer of is uncollateral. And that just the fact these are working or so far, you know, so far uh, is, is, is valid. I've been really excited. Yeah, I totally agree, man. And I totally resonate with that word validated. I would even say, you know, use the word like vindicated to sort of describe it. I felt like um, there, there are really three three components of a thesis that we've been talking about for, for the last two years. One is, of course, Bitcoin. And that got validated in 2019 and, and 2020. Um, the, the second is DeFi. And that totally found product market fit in late 2019 and early 2020. You had breakout successes like Uniswap and, of course, you know, DeFi Summer and the, the birth of these DeFi capital assets. So, you know, check mark there, another thesis uh, validated. But the third piece has always been this, well, ETH will accrue value as a, um, a native DeFi reserve as part of the Ethereum economy and a store of value in the same way Bitcoin is. And it's finally, we're finally starting to see that happen, David. It's like ETH has, has woken up. So um, validated on all three of those points that's how i'm feeling right now too that's a good that's a good word for the state of the nation all right guys we are about to bring dan ellis on to talk all about algorithmic stable coins but first we're going to take a moment to talk about some of these fantastic servers that make ave is a borrowing and lending protocol on ethereum and just recently released ave version which has a ton of cool new features that makes using ave even more powerful with ave you can leverage the full power of DeFi money legos yield hosability all in one app. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield. All of those same assets also be borrowed protocol if you have deposit collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens. And I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable option. But I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanent. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having having to withdraw your ass, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you, all in one seamless transaction. So you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have back. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got back into crypto back in 2017, and it has been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens like Wi-Fi, Aave, Uni, and also they are one of the few exchanges that has liquid die market. Having both the option of logging into the Gemini.com website or instead opening the Gemini mobile app has allowed me to be able to access any and all exchange and honor off-ramp service that I've needed on this. With instant deposits and fast withdrawals, I'm able to make my money do the things I want it to when I want it. You can buy crypto safely and securely on Gemini with the peace of mind of knowing that your investments are insured and protected with industry-leading cybersecurity. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after signup, you'll be gifted a free $15 bonus. Check them out, gemini.com slash go bank. All right, David, we should get right into it. It. So want to welcome Dan Elitzer, who has been on the show uh, a few times before. In fact, he was our, our first guest before DeFi Summer. He is now starting a fund of his own called Nascent that we'll get about soon. And he is here 
you a bit about what's going on with uncollateralized stable coins. We'll define that in a minute. Dan, good to have you on State of the Nation. How are you doing, sir? How's it going, Dan? Good to see you, man. Good to see you guys too. All right. Yeah. So it's this is a this is a fun topic. Thanks for having me on. It's always always a pleasure to chat with you guys. Well, and, the, and really explore what I think is a very exciting. The space. last time we had you on was right for this whole event that we called DeFi Summer. So I'm wondering what's going to yeah. happen this time if we have Dan on. Is there going to be some kind of explosion in uh, uncollateralized oh, stable God. coins? <laughs> right after this conversation. I'm not sure what to expect. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we're front running the explosion. <laughs> I think the explosion already has happened, is happening. Um, so, you know, there's that. Very, very cool. Well, you, you, you're going to have to do, uh, help us catch up then a little bit. And um, But before we begin, I'd love to actually hear, because you recently made a transition to Nascent, which is, as I understand, kind of your own fund or, or something that you've co-founded. Can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I spent five years at IDEO and uh, helped start up IDEO Colab Ventures there, did a lot of early stage investing in DeFi and in crypto more generally. And then uh, a few months ago, um, kind of beginning of September, left IDEO and started this new fund, Nascent, uh, with my partner, Josh Felker. We were focused largely on DeFi, but really we think of this more broadly as an open financial system. And we do both early stage venture, but we also are able to be more participatory. We have the advantage of utilizing proprietary capital. And so we don't have to spend time raising funds or managing LPs. We're able just to focus all of our energy all of our time in understanding the ecosystem, in supporting our portfolio companies, and really understanding how things play together because we don't want to just be uh, investors. I think a lot of funds are structured where they're either doing a lot of trading or they're really doing early stage venture and that's about it. And so there are a few funds that I think are doing a fantastic job, uh, Framework, Parify, a few others who really do both. And so we're, we're really trying to be in mold where we use all these DeFi protocols. I, I was a you know, personal user and really that's upped my understanding of the ecosystem a lot, but we're now looking at this you know, six, seven figure positions and movements. And so that really gives me a different lens through which I'm evaluating all these protocols and thinking about where are the gaps in the ecosystem, what's useful, what's slightly better in these situations. Uh, and I really think it lets us bring another layer of helpfulness to the companies and protocols. That Super cool. We've been preaching investors uh, as users from the very beginning. So really cool to start a capital pool around that, Dan. That's very exciting. Dan, it's very Thank appropriate you. that your fund is called NACE because that's exactly what how I would bribe these algorithmic uncollateralized stable coins. It seems to be a very emergent field that is very, very just in the last you know couple of quarters. Uh, and it's very experimental as well. And so I think it's perfect for, for somebody like you that tends to see things before they come because they are deep read, um, and then also are willing to get their hands dirty and get into the protocol, be active part. Um, so let's talk about uh, the, the ethos and theory behind uh, an uncollateralized stable. And Ryan, if you want to bring up the uh, stablecoin trilemma so we can get our ground, there's this famous yeah. uh, stablecoin trilemma where there's three different designs of stable. We have fiat collateralized like Tether or USE. And that to, to spin up a, a fiat collateralized stable, trivial, put fiat into a bank account, you issue a token on a blockchain, and then you claim that if the token the token is redeemable, yeah, and that's, that's pretty trivial. And that's the fastest the fastest stable coins that have gotten out, right? That's the biggest market cap. Then we have uh, crypto collateral. 
collateralized, which is a little bit harder, but still more or less the same print, right? Where instead of having a fiat and a bank, we have crypto smart contract. There's a little bit more technicality there. We need to over collateralize because of the volatility of these ads. Um, and there's, there's oracles and there's a little bit more complication, but generally a very solvable problem that I think has solved. Saw die come around December 15, die is old now. It's pretty battle tested. Um, and the benefit of die is that it, unlike a fiat collateralized uh, stable coin is um, nation state regulate resistant, right? It kind of exists independently of physical landscape of the world. It just exists on Ethereum. It doesn't have any real world. But then there's non-collateralized, which um, don't have any collateral behind them as in our very, very new. And, um, you know, uh, almost they, we almost had basis back teen as a project that really pioneered this, but basis didn't work out. Um, maybe Dan, you can uh, maybe illustrate for the listeners, why are under collateralized or non-collateralized stablecoin so difficult to spin up? Because I, would you, would you say that these are the most difficult of the three of the, of the three categories? These might be the most easy to spin up and the hardest to make work. So, uh, you know, this, that, that, um, diagram you showed, uh, I, I think credit goes to Hasib Qureshi from Dragonfly. He wrote that piece that really, really influenced my thinking on stable coins and on the design space here. I think that was from 2017 or 2018. And, uh, you know, DAI has been this kind of decentralized beacon that we've all been able to rally around in space. And I think we we often, those of us who really focus on decentralization and transparency and openness have not loved the fact that Tether has been such a massive uh, force in this ecosystem. And so I do think things like USDC step in the right direction. But this on or under collateralized you know, point on the triangle has been underexplored. And I think there have been a, a lot of very valid critiques of basis back in the day of, uh, you know, there were some really good kind of uh, preemptive takedown <laughs> posts talking about problems with this model. And my, my sense at the time was like, yeah, I was, I was very much also in kind of Bitcoin maximalist land at that time. And like, you know, none of this stuff is going to work. <laughs> uh, but, but my impression now of the space is that there's a very good chance that 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 is just very hard um, right off to, and that getting to these on or under collateralized really coins is is nearly impossible. Maybe it is impossible. Uh, one of the things though that I think is not quite right is when we look at the initial proposal around basis that never launched, but there's over a hundred million dollars in capital uh, to support this. And the vast, vast majority of that ended up getting returned to investors and they didn't spend it. So, you know, credit to them, unlike a lot of teams that raised a lot in the 2017 timeframe, they actually said, nope, we're not going to do this. We're going to shut it down and give all the money back to investors. So kudos to them for making that decision. But the plan was never to use that to buy big houses and Lambos uh, the, or, or to hire a massive team. It was to literally this kind of backstop fund. So it was not necessarily collateralized per se, but it was to provide this uh, deterrent from trying to break the peg in these ways. Because they're saying there's this massive $100 million fund that is sitting here ready to be deployed to support the peg should that be necessary. And I think that that's where we're seeing some of these things move with empty set dollar planning to move in that direction with V2, uh, you know, fracks 
has uh, another kind of partially collateral. I was thinking, honestly, Yam, uh, which I was involved with um, originally, was something that kind of came from the same idea where it took the, um, the kind of rebasing mechanism that we're seeing from Ampleforth and said, well, what if we start putting some capital behind it to dampen the the downside? Uh, so so there's a lot of design space here and we'll go through all these different things. But like what, what is really exciting here is the ability to create uh, potentially, right? Something that can be long-term stable and decentralized and be much more capital efficient than something like DAI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so can we talk about that, Dan? So, so that is, let, let's zone in on like why non-collateralized, right? It's part of that that dilemma. Yeah. So we have fiat collateralized. We've talked about that lots on Bankless, right? It's not Bankless, basically. It's, yeah. it's sort of a product of the existing banking infrastructure. And then we have this thing called DAI, right? And that's grown to its credit over a billion dollars, lots of collateral yeah. in there. Um, and but but the problem with it, some of the critics will say it's not very capital efficient, right? It's very difficult to kind of grow the supply yeah. of Dai versus something like fiat collateralized. So is could you zone in for us yeah. on what the the value of a non-collateralized uh, stablecoin would be. Is it those two things? It's both bankless, decentralized, and also yeah. highly efficient. Yeah, and so one of the one of the challenges with Maker, and and again, I'm I'm a huge fan of Dai, but one of the challenges with it is that we've seen there's this massive demand for USD pegged stablecoins, and Dai can only grow to the extent that there are uh, folks who have capital that they want to take leverage on. And, and so that inherently means that you can't grow the supply of DAI faster than there is demand to borrow against other assets that are supported through that cap. And so uh, that, that just inherently caps it. And so by having something where it need to be uh, fully or in the case of dive really over collateralized that allows the supply of the stable coin to match the demand for stable coins. Um, and I don't think that that's really a, uh, not a huge problem that things like USDT and USDC are kind of 100%, well, in the case USDT, who knows, but like in theory, 100% collateralized with dollars in a bank account. The problem is that they're in a bank account rather than on chain. And as soon as you go on chain, you can't really have it just like perfectly 100% collateralized. You need some other mechanisms to bring stability because if that peg and that collateralization is fully important, then you just, you're not giving yourself any leeway. And so you need some kind of algorithmic system to help provide stability and supplement the collateralization for the collateralization to potentially supplement that kind of algorithmic factor. So they kind of work in tandem. Um, and once you, we need algorithmic forces, not just reliance on the ability to seize and liquidate collateral. Well, why leave it at 8%? Why not lean a little bit more heavily on those algorithmic components and say that the collateral is almost sec is secondary to that? I think what people struggle with, and this is also foundational, is um, the question of what actually backs a, you know, uncollateralized stablecoin, right? So it's very clear with yeah. Tether. We know what yeah. we think we know what backs Tether. Some dollars yeah. in a bank account, I hope, fingers crossed, right? Yeah. Um, we know what backs DAI. You can see that on chain, right? It's yep. completely open. We can see all of its collateral at any one time. But what in the world backs the value of a stablecoin that has no collateral backing it? Yeah. 
I think, uh, well, what backs the U.S. dollar, right? It's it's faith. Ultimately, it's it's faith. And so the the goal here is with these stablecoins for them to work is people need to believe in the mechanisms, and they need to be given very good reason to believe in the mechanisms that it will stay very close to one dollar. And there there's a lot of reasons to believe it won't, right? And we've we've, we've got a lot of evidence for these things diverging pretty significantly from a dollar on both the up and downside. And so that's not great, right? But what I will say is uh, a few of these things have actually stayed a lot closer to that shelling point around $1 than uh, I would have expected a couple of years ago. And so that to me is, is a great starting place, but it needs to get better. And if it can't get better, these things are not going to work. Okay, so, so I think there's a lot of design space to, to think about how, how to make that. Work. And one of the things that, um, you know, I when I first Ample, uh, you know, I read, the, it was called something else originally and they had, they had a white paper for it a couple of years ago. I thought this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Um, and it launched. I thought this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. And then people started piling into it, using it. I was like, whoa, okay. So clearly there are very powerful, you know, these reflexive mechanisms that are going to drive up the market cap. The problem is it can also go down. But I thought, okay, well, then this powerful mechanism for driving up the market cap, actually expanding this again to supply up there, that's really useful for bootstrapping. So could you modify the mechanisms once you get above a certain point to dampen the reflexivity on both the upside and downside. And that question was what originally led to the idea of YAM was, okay, if on the way up, you're building up a collateral base that effectively pulls a floor up with you, then, you know, maybe that's a way to dampen it. And now that didn't, that didn't play out. So um, we, there were, there were some, some problems with YAM, some bugs. Um, and we saw, you know, what can happen where it doesn't. And then the community there, YAM is actually, I, I'm very excited by what's been happening with YAM since. I think Brock and Trent and the rest of the team over there have done an incredible job, but the decentralized community around it decided this is not a stable coin. And they actually just recently removed the rebasing that was inspired by Ample entirely. Uh, and and now it's really this kind of community DAO saying, we've got this treasury, how do we manage it? How do we build more things? Very cool, but very different. But the idea, this, the original seed of the idea there was thinking along these lines, how do we take these powerful financial incentives to bootstrap a system, but also have them in a way where they can be modified in a way so up to some level, then make it harder for it to drop down and it can grow at a more reasonable pace uh, to serve the needs people have that they come looking to a stable coin. So Dan, I want to talk about the, um, continue the conversation about the design space for under collateralized um, stable, because there seems to be a lot of overlap and you've touched on it just a, a little bit now. To say that they are uncollateralized, I think is not completely accurate. Collateral is just in, in a diff, right? With collateralized stable coin, the cash bank, with a with a crypto collateralized stable coin, the collateral is a contract with an uncollateralized stable. Collateral is, as you alluded to, is the faith that when there is time, when, when the time comes for there to be buying prep, there will be buying. And I guess that it's collateralization. Yeah, faith. Hmm, you're getting uh, some resistance. I, 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 I feel I feel like I, I would I would push back against that a little okay. bit because uh, I, I think there's the the mechanism there is is faith. I think calling a collateral uh, is a bit of a stretch in terms of what people realistically think of as collateral. Sure. Um, it, these things absolutely to be very clear they can 100% death spiral and go right. to well nothing in crypto ever goes to zero zero right people will will trade you Stop know penny point. stocks till the end of time so right like but 
it, it could effectively go to zero for any of these things. And so I think that's a very important thing to look at is right now is these things are are highly speculative. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting design space to be explored around making them a little bit less speculative. Um, one of the things though that I, I think we shouldn't lose sight of it is speculation isn't necessarily bad. Right. I think people need to know what they're getting into, um, but I think that it can be a very powerful mechanism to get things up to a level where they can be broadly useful. Okay, so so let's let's talk about um, let's define the why uh, stable core uncollateralized stables, and I think that will kind of ground us behind like where the, um, to me the the reason why uncollateralized stable get really really dangerous is because they can get out in front of their right, and this yeah. goes back to the issue of uh, who can who can mint new stables right with the collateralized method, it's the protocol, if DAO, bank, if it, but with a, an uncollateralized stable protocol can also issue freely as anyone can, just like the federalers can freely mint new coins. That's not the Yep. where the restriction the problem is the protocol cannot revoke um and that's where uh, there needs come strategy so there's different strategies yeah. for how each different algorithmic stable revokes or takes away supply away if there is uh, a price that is under so maybe you can kind of go into the different strategy tools that uh, under collateralized yeah. stablecoins have available to them to incentivize the removal of supply of these uncollateralized stable when the time comes that things are below it. yeah okay so in in all the cases of these these different kind of algorithmic and under under collateralized coins there's a, the same mechanism is above a dollar print more and that prints selling pressure push it down easy not hard the problem is like you said on the downside how do you get it back up so the original uh kind of senior share model that basis was was planning to do and never launched um there is the you know the the usd pegged stablecoin and then there's a share um base shares or whatever and then uh the holders of those base shares will receive the inflation right so they hold essentially shares in the system they get new dollars printed to them and then they can sell those to bring the peg back down but that's why you hold the share when it's below the peg the idea would be that you would uh, have these bonds and people could burn their uh kind of cash tokens for bonds that when the price returns above a dollar they can then redeem those and get the full dollar so that's that's the the basic mechanism there um with empty set uh or, or sorry so before we get them to the dollar there there was one though that kind of came next let's let's kind of go almost in the chronological order as we're seeing the evolution here so uh, the idea behind Ample Forth, right, was everybody gets it, right? If you hold Ample and we need more Ample to bring the price down, everybody gets more Ample. And then how do you then get the price back up? Well, below a dollar, everybody loses Ample. And so <laughs> that's, you don't opt into that. It just happens across the board. And while I'm very impressed by the kind of insight and psychology around the creation of this what's called rebasing mechanism there. I think psychologically it's really hard and technically it becomes impossible. Like I, I don't think Ample is ultimately going to work as a stable coin, even if the mechanisms around this, the kind of the economics of it did work on a technical level, it doesn't um, behave like a standard ERC-20 token, right? The fact that the balance can keep changing uh, without the user doing anything, it just breaks everything. Thing. And so they've had to create their own whole like, kind of elastic finance, they're calling an ecosystem around it. And when you break DeFi composability in that way, it, it creates all sorts of problems. And I think it just makes it really hard, even if you somehow achieve more or less stability, it's going to be really hard to take advantage of that composability that is such a strength in this ecosystem. So getting to your point there, Dan, right? So like you say, Ampleforth, the risk is borne by all Ample holders. All Ample holders have it. 
Okay. Um, and they, you know, they all contract to kind of get the price back up to a dollar. And that has led to a lot of big swings. But these now, new designs, these different designs, they have kind of different classes of risk taking. Yeah. So, so that's in that initial senior share model with basis, that was the different classes, right? So you have the stable coin holders, then you have the, the kind of shareholders. And that has been then ported forward now with, with basis cash has more or less implemented that that same design. And that is nice, right? You avoid the need to do anything. If you want to hold just that that kind of stable coin piece, it may not be stable, but at least the amount of, of uh, individual tokens you hold doesn't change unless you opt into buying. Um, now, what empty set dollar did that I think is very interesting. And you know, full disclosure, we, we have a meaningful position at nascent in empty set dollar. But one of the the insights there was saying, well, what if we just package these together in a in a single token? So that the way that you receive inflation is actually depositing your ESD, your empty set dollar, into the DAO and staking it. And by staking it, you can earn a share of the of the inflation, or by providing liquidity into the ESD USDC liquidity pool, that's another way that you can earn part of the inflation. And uh, there, there's some of the criticism for that is that, well, how are you ever going to have something stable that's inherently speculative in nature? And the flip side, I think what, what got me excited about this is saying, wow, you know, let's recognize the fact that early on people really just want to speculate. Us. And so to be useful as a stable coin, you need to be integrated across the ecosystem. System. You need to have beyond different lending protocols. You need to be in different AMMs. And so if you want to have the liquidity, have the integrations, let's have it be on the spec coin, which, oh, by the way, over time, if the mechanisms work, should become less speculative, more stable. And then you've already got these integrations across the ecosystem. I think the challenge with things like basis cash is people are really just interested in kind of the number go up piece and nobody's really wanting to use the the stablecoin piece as a stablecoin and integrate that. It's really just there. They're kind of leaning into the farming aspect. And I think that's hard. And one of the things that uh you know pointed out, there are a lot of games to be played, a lot of money games to be played around this, around all of these different designs. And a lot of teams are leaning into that. And what I got excited about Empty Set Dollar for was the ethos where, um, unlike the other communities that I've been a part of, this one really is focused on, let's tamp down the growth. Let's let's grow at a slower, more reasoned pace, right? The the first fork that I saw of Empty Set Dollar was you know, Dynamic Set Dollar, that just was a straight fork off. They tweaked a few variables to fork. Um, and, and I love the experimentation, you know, good on them, but like, man, they like took all the breaks off and the, kind of went full degen and kind of like leaned into going like super degen. Like, okay, great, you can do that. But I, I think there's a really important element here around community and around ethos and belief that this is something where, yeah, you can absolutely step on the gas. We're, we're, we're playing with very, very powerful tools here. But if you want this to be long-term sustainable and successful, you need to move slowly and intentionally. And there's there's certain things you can't control, you know, apes are gonna ape and, and you can't stop that. But what you can do is you can try to uh, put dampening things into place to make sure that to the extent possible, growth is more or less in stride with interest and adoption mm -hmm. of the of the product. So at the, at the beginning of, of this conversation, you talked about how like, um, 
you were you are more accepting of speculation and aping right like that's as you think that's an important part of projects right and i totally agree like if there was no speculation around bitcoin we wouldn't be right so, and something like bitcoin speculation is inherent like there's almost no such thing as bad speculation and that's where algorithmic uncollateralized stablecoin are very different from other protocols that we've seen where rampant un uh, uncontrollable speculation will actually end pro right because as you were as you were alluding to if you only have a gas pedal and you don't have a brake pedal now that's great for bitcoin number go up if you don't have a brake pedal on an uncollateralized stablecoin and you only have a gas pedal you will because at some point the whole the whole design ethos around this that there will be a devaluation of the asset below the pit and that's when you need the brake don't have yeah. the brakes at that point you're in trouble and, and so i do think that you know another project that i think is is worth there's a couple other projects worth mentioning uh so one is frax um and they've started off as something that was you know essentially fully collateralized to partial collateralization over time i think that that makes a lot of sense as something to to play around with as a design space to explore. Um, I, I think there are some elements of how it's being created and how it's being used that make me a little less comfortable with it. But I think overall, the idea of starting more collateralized and moving to less collateralized is a very reasonable place to start. Um, I think, you know, often they position as like they were the first and yeah, they got it in, into market, but every, a lot of people have been kicking around these ideas, as I mentioned, you know, with Yanks initially thinking along similar paths. Um, another one that I think we're talking about is Rye uh, and from Refluxer, which uh, they've got a an early version I think launched and people can play with it. And it's not pegged to the dollar, right? It's it's entirely uh, kind of self-referential with the stability mechanism that they're using. I don't want to get into it too much because it's it's very complex. And to be honest. I'm not going to do the best representation of it, but the idea of having something that is entirely algorithmically governed uh, and done so in a way minimizes human involvement around governance uh, and just tries to essentially dampen volatility significantly, I think is super interesting. And I've seen a number of these projects, ESD included, that have talked about at some point potentially transitioning away from pegging to the dollar and doing something that is more crypto native, because I think as anybody who's spent time in this space, you know, the dollar itself may be a reference point today, but you know, I think we're all all kind of like looking out for at what point are we no longer going to consider the dollar itself to be stable and we're going to want a clean way to transition to something else that is really inherently more crypto. And so I think we're going to see more projects I would expect taking a similar approach where they're thinking about how do we get something that is volatility dampened and may peg to something other than the dollar over time? Dan, there's so much there that we will pack. I also want to ask about where oracles come into this and also Europe, whether yeah. this is like a winner take all market. Uh, we're going to take a moment to talk about some of yeah. these sponsors and get stay tuned. Be right back. Synthetix is Ethereum's decentralized derivatives liquidity protocol. What does that mean? Synthetix is a platform for creating and trading synthetic assets, which are assets that are priced via an oracle rather than bids or ask. Traders can use the Quenta exchange, which hosts and trades all of the synthetic assets created by synthetic. Traders on Quenta can trade synthetic tokens like SBS oil or SDFI. Because Quenta is powered by synthetics, traders experience zero slippage in their No, I didn't mean low slippage. I meant no slippage because that is the power of the synthetics platform. No slippage on your trade. You can also easily short assets with ISIN, which are synthetic assets that move inversely to their target asset. 
Synthetics isn't just for traders. Developers can build on Synthetics to access the infinite liquidity offered by Synthetic assets, or investors can stake collateral to the protocol and earn fees that the protocol collects. If you're a trader and you're looking for a trading platform not found in the legacy world, check out Quenta.io. If you're a developer or you just want to earn yield on your collateral, go to www.synthetics.io where you can stake your SNX or and earn fees from that. If you want to live a bankless life, you need to get a Monolith DeFi Visa card. Monolith is a one-two punch of both an Ethereum smart contract wallet and an accompanying Visa card that lets you spend the money that you have in your Ethereum wallet everywhere where Visa accepts. When you swipe your Monolith Visa card at the grocery store or at a restaurant, it actually makes a transaction on the Ethereum blockchain that spends some of the money you hold in your Monolith wallet. It's insanely cool and it's one of the best tools out there for living a bankless but still normal life. Monolith also offers on-ramp services for getting your fiat money into the world DeFi. So it's trivial to top up your monolith card if you ever need to, and your deposited money goes straight into your non-custodial wallet. So your money is never held by a centralized mediary. Because Monolith is native Ethereum infrastructure, the money you hold in your Monolith wallet still has the power of DeFi. Swapping assets on Uniswap or earning yield in DeFi is at your fingertips. Go to monolith.xyz and sign up to get your Monolith Visa card today. All right, guys, we are back with Dan Elitzer and Stay the Nation. We are talking about uncollateralized stable coins. Dan, where we kind of left off, we we're talking about some of the projects here. I want to get into empty set dollar in a minute, but something that that um, keeps going on in the back of my mind is to sort of set context for everyone. You mentioned the term money games that we're playing with these things. Uh, and David and I have talked about on Bankless, like playing is very much a money game. Ether is very much a money game. Any uncollateralized monetary asset is a money game. I would even use the, the term Ponzi game for these things, right? It's, it's kind of like a pyramid scheme where there's benefit to being first uh, and you receive the the upside of that. Like putting on your Bitcoin maximalist hat for a minute, right? You said you used to wear yeah. one. Uh, put that on for a second. So a Bitcoiner or maybe a, a really strong Ethereum might say, Dan, what you're trying to do is impossible. You're going to invent all of these like Ponzi games without any um, upside or benefit to the world. Some early people get rich, right? But like the only way to get uncollateralization and some level of stability, some level of stability is to become highly liquid, a reserve global asset. That's what I think uh, some Bitcoiners might say. What um, What's your response to that? Or did you used to think that and now your mind has changed? I think that uh, there, there certainly are elements here where, uh, you know, that you can see that, right? Where, where early, early people do very well if this works. I think that's good incentive for getting it going. The idea is that this can't be a Ponzi scheme, right? And I think one of the great things about what Ethereum has done is because it's all transparent, it's all on chain, nobody can um, essentially steal funds from others. Everyone can exactly what's happening. So can choose to play the game or choose not to up to that goal here if these things are going to work and to a place where you go down basically can't go up at an insane pace forever um and so i think the important thing is as these things if any of them are successful to approach close to maturity the locus of the game being played has to move from being a growth to about penability hmm. and so even things, one of the reasons why uh, Tether and USTC are able to keep such a tight peg is because it's really easy to arb that back to the dollar, right? If, if you know, Tether is trading at 
101, somebody who's got, you know, the ability to just go wide funds in and just arb that difference down immediately. And that's something that the, that's one of the problems with DAI, why DAI has had trouble being as tight of a peg is there's not this like instant ARB ability uh, for professionals to come in and ARB it back to a dollar. And so for any of these algorithmic, under collateralized, uncollateralized stable coins, work long-term, the loss of the game needs to move from how do we get it a little bit above the dollar so that like we all print more money for ourselves and it has to be, okay, how do we get the incentive to above, push it down when it's below, push it up, but keep it very tightly around the dollar. And uh, a big piece of that for something like empty dollar is around faith that it will, that people see it go through these cycles and see the cycles get less volatile and shorter and that there's more faith so people are willing to help push it back up rather than saying we need to get like a 50% discount or whatever in order to take on the risk that it might never come back up. Maybe we're comfortable with a 20% discount, a 10% discount, a 5% discount, a 1% discount. You need to get that range that people are willing to play around tighter and tighter time. And how do you do that? Is it the algorithm, the precision of the algorithm itself, or is it the mechanics of the protocol, or is it the liquidity and like underlying yeah. faith of the backers? What? Yeah. How does that happen? In my view, it's multiple things. One is there needs to be, the mechanisms need to be strong. And I, I will say very, very clearly, I don't think empty dollar has 100% the right mechanisms today. There are certainly challenges with the kind of coupon bond-like system uh, around this where they are highly risky. I don't think price well. I don't think the redemption process works pretty It worked well enough. It's gotten it back to the peg three or four times already. Um, but everybody who's active in the community looks at this and says, we need to do some fixes here. And Scott Lewis and Will Price and some others are working on a proposal uh, for a, a, a kind of an overhaul of that coupon system. And it is more like a bond, some with a zero bond. Um, I think that's a very worthy thing to research and it may end up being something DSD will transition to if the community wants to do that. But there's also been fixes to the coupon system to improve it. Um, each cycle it's getting better and better. And that's a piece. The other piece is just the fake piece, right? The longer that it's around, the more times that it goes below and the returns or goes above and then returns, the more faith people have that it will do so in the future. It's you know the, kind of the Lindy effect exactly. around this, right? The more times that we, the longer it survives, the more times it does the thing that everyone says it's supposed to do, the more people believe it will continue to in the future. Yeah, but so it's that combination of faith and actual kind of like technical economic mechanisms together that will hopefully enable it to be more stable over time. So the, there's an article I wrote a while ago in the Bankless newsletter that talked about um, Ethereum as a protocol is designed to work in the most adversarial condition ever, right? The protocol is designed work, like full stop. And the more that people have faith in that protocol working, the more monetary premium, that's that's the claim that I'm, uh, and I think yeah. that is all very similarly true for uncollateralized stablecoins, where you can make the system work. And once the system proves that it is working, then you get this premium of benefit of the fact that people know that it works. Then you get this benefit of extra liquidity because of the faith, believe that event people are more more willing to buy sooner when the, when the value of the token drops just a little bit below it. Because people know that, you know, it's going from 90 cents back to dollar. People are willing to take just 2% of that ARB rather than like they see it at 85. It takes a lot more faith to buy something at 5 cents to get it all the way up back up to a dollar than it does to 98. The only way that you get that benefit of a premium is if you prove out over its call is going to operate under the worst possible. Is that, is that about about right? I think that's, that's a very fair statement, right? Um, 
Um, it's it's the same reason that we're kind of seeing similar things play out with like Bitcoin and Ethereum today. We're like, it's even though the price has gone up, you know, you know, hundreds of percent in the last year, it's in some ways less risky for for people to buy it now because it's it has all this kind of existence proof and more people have piled in and it's it's easier to buy at a higher price, which is ridiculous, right? Because you get rewarded so much more for buying at a lower price, but it, there is this risk reward trade-off and it, and it is a factor in these stable coins. So Dan, um, let, let's maybe look at uh, your example of, of empty set or ESD of on chart from perspective yeah. and look at performance. So I've got CoinGecko here just showing me a chart of um, the price of empty set dollar to we call ESD, right? Which is this un, uh, collateralized coin, one of them we've been talking about. And this is over the last 90 days. And over the last 90 days, we can see some fluctuations. So at the start, it starts at about a dollar and one cent. And then that's at the beginning of October. And then sometime in late October, it stays steady. Uh, we get a spike. And all of a sudden, it's $2.29. And now in um, later in October, we get a spike down and it's 50 cents. Uh, and then we get some flat line. You can see this chart. Anyway, there's some ups and downs. But it seems like there's a range of it. It, it tends to gravitate around a dollar, but it ranges up to over $2 and sometimes down to 50 cents. So it's fluctuating around stability. What can you say about this chart? Is this the protocol at work? How How is this uh, stable coin doing so far? Yeah. I, th- I think it's it's doing all right. You know, I'd, I'd say anything that went from literally zero six like didn't exist six months ago uh, to something that is you know now at you know a four hundred mil market cap or so, um, right? That, that's it's it's grown a lot, um, but that it's done on the basis of somewhat range bound, right? And I would say the goal here is to get it into the the die like range or better. Um, you know, if you can stay within, you know, 5% or so, the peg is where you ultimately want to be, hopefully even tighter to like 1%. But right now, for early, so so speculative, I think that this is reasonable performance. And some of the mechanisms are being tweaked to hopefully allow it to not uh, skew as much on the upside, right? One of the elements of the V2 proposal is to have a price, whether it's a dollar and three cents, dollar 10 cents, something like that, where anybody can always mint as much as they want at that price to effectively create a ceiling on the price. And the idea is that the the USDC or ETH or whatever would be spent to mint would then be in a reserve where if the price falls below, you know, a certain threshold, 97 cents, 90 cents, whatever it is, that that reserve would then be used to buy back ESD um, and potentially burn it, potentially hold it, who knows, but that you can actually create this uh, kind of secondary stability mechanism and create these, these boundary conditions around it that can tighten over time. And so I think that is a very promising direction. I'm I'm very encouraging and and uh, encouraged by the discussions around that mechanism and effort to start moving towards implementing. So I'm putting my my in the shoes of let's say I'm an ESD hole wanting to use this for utility purposes as a stablecoin, mm-hmm. right? That's ultimately what yep. we want to use stablecoins for, right? So I'm looking at the chart, this chart, and I see okay, I've got you know hundred dollars worth of ESD, um, you know, and and I hold that, and you know next week maybe that that could 
dollars. But I know if I wait seven to 15 days or so, it's going to restore back to $100. Maybe the following week, it, it goes down to $50. Uh, or if I wait a little bit longer, it's going to ratchet back to 100 Is that kind of the user experience or am I misunderstanding this? No. So, so one of the things that, that you're missing here is this is not like Ample, where it goes up and then it contracts down and like the, the full amount, right? So the idea is that on the upside, right, was going up and was above the peg. Um, people who had staked their ESD in the DAO or were providing liquidity in the in the Uniswap pool, they were receiving more ESD. And so they had more units of ESD. Now, when it drops below the peg, let's say that, you know, you had a hundred ESD and the market cap, you now, you know, are going to have roughly double the amount. So you'll 200 ESD. Mm -hmm. um, now, if the peg goes down to, you know, drops low down to 50 cents, yeah, then you've got a hundred, but assuming it's above 50 cents, you're still, you have more dollar value and more coins than you initially had. Um, and so one of the things that I think is really important psychologically for maintaining the peg here is it doesn't have, in my view, the same crazy downward reflexivity as something like Ampleforth because Ampleforth, when it's below the peg, you've got the double pain of both watching the value of your holdings go down and also the number of units is contracting too. And so that's just like creates this gut-wrenching thing. We saw it with, with Yam before the rebase was removed. I think, you know, anybody who's held Ample has like been through that and seen that as well. Um, and, and so I think that this just psychologically uh, does a lot better Right. From if you're looking at this from an investment standpoint, really market cap is is the thing that matters much, much, much more so than price. But uh, when you want this to actually be a stable coin, and when people are looking at holding it, uh, the fact that it doesn't take supply away from you on the downside, unless you opt in to buy. On this, but potentially get more upside from getting that discount. Uh, you know that 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 opt-in element for returning it back up to the peg, I think, is very important. So you're saying, Dan, that I've got if I hold USC and I'm just a utility stablecoin user, I don't have downside, right? It it can't drop well, below a dollar. No, 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 no. To be very clear, no. Yes, you you absolutely okay. do have downside. The, the price okay. can certainly drop below a dollar. If you have a hundred units or two hundred units, you will never have fewer units than than you did. Or the more, price can right? still go down, right? Right? Yeah. Uh, or, well, you can have more on the upside above a dollar. You could end up with more if you're staking them. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you will never end action. up with. You'll never. Yeah. You'll never. You will never without taking action. You will never end up with fewer units. And so I think that is an important piece. Again, there's no floor. This could go to zero, um, but um, or you know, or it's like you know, Bitcoin. If it goes, it goes to like you know, one cent, I'd buy all twenty-one million Bitcoin, whatever. Um, so it's the same principle here. It's never, it's never going to go to zero. 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 But yeah. it can approach very, very close to zero. Um, so not saying there is a, a hard floor or something on this in any way. What I'm saying is that uh, when it goes up and more is printed, uh, those who receive that printing, you know, now have those, have that inflation. They have those additional units in their wallet. Um, and if they lose interest, lose faith and decide to sell, they absolutely can drive the price down lower. But if people want to hold it, because they believe this is going to be useful. It starts becoming more stable. They start using it as a stable coin. Great. That's the goal, right? The goal is to get this to be something that is widely used where, you know, my, my you know, ideal future state 
ESD um, is that ESD becomes boring. People should not be excited about it. They should not be looking <laughs> at charts about it any more so than like, you know, we get excited when like a bunch of USDC or SDT is like on chains like, oh, wow, that's clearly stablecoin demand is up. Nobody really cares. Hopefully ESD could at some point become like that where the majority of people using it just pay zero attention because it, it is staying so close to the peg. And there are professionals who are arbing it in both directions um, and maintaining that peg, money off it. Like, great. Like, there's, I'm not against people making money. I think that there should, there always needs to be some kind of profit motive around this uh, to maintain the peg. But hopefully that profit motive shifts from, I want to just hold a lot of this and see number up to, uh, I'm going to make profit by actively participating in the peg restoration process. So, okay. Yeah. Oh no, you go ahead, David. I was going to turn the, the conversation to oracles, but I think we'll uh, talk about market. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's the perspective of, of maybe someone who's holding ESD, but um, what, what does it look like from the perspective of someone who's taking the, the speculative risk uh, in the ESM itself, right? So this is a different chart, different than price. Yeah. This is market cap of empty set dollars, which it looks like this is, um, you know, um, basically total price multiplied by the supply, right? Just yeah. And there's, what I'll say is, again, this, this is not a, a uh, beginner 101 uh, game to play. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, basis cash has seen a lot more forks is it's like a lot more in that whole yield farming vein ah. and with like the, the forked yam UI uh, and people kind of understanding how to play this as a yield farming thing. One of the things that throws off this chart is the fact that uh, some of the units get removed from circulation, they get burned for coupons. And so uh, that also then reduces the market cap further. So it's not it's not exact. It gets, you know, ballpark right direction. But as you can see here, right, it peaked around 600 mil uh, market cap and it's currently around 400 mil. Um, and so, yeah, that is a pretty significant decline. And uh and, and it could drop a lot more. It could go up a lot more. You know, it's it's anyone's guess on this. I think that, you know, to the extent that people do want to speculate, this is not one that people are going to try to make it easy for you to ape into this. Like, do your homework, do your research, understand it, um, and uh, then make an educated decision on whether to participate or not to participate. Um, I, I think that's that's what I try to try to emphasize to people. So for those of you at home, this is an advanced money game. Yeah. Don't just like YOLO into this. Don't ape into it. This is what we're saying. None of this is financial advice. But I, I want to be clear on what like basically the speculators how well they've done with this. Yeah. So this looks like 90 days ago. This has just done a hundred x in terms yeah. of price appreciation. So we had four million market cap around that 90 days ago, and now we're up to 400-ish cap. Is that right? Yeah, that's, that's right. Um, and so there's, yeah, that's that's been uh, tremendous and there's returns. No, and there's no reason this couldn't fall back to to 5 million if right. something breaks. Right, absolutely. It could fall, fall below 5 million, who knows, right? But um, I think that's that's one of the things that's been appealing has been the fact that it has has grown very quickly. Um, you know, it was sitting up high on the coin gecko, like yield farming yield list. And so, um, you know, that, that brought a lot of more attention into it and people joining, joining in. But honestly, like my, my preference is that this thing I'm, I'm talking about it, you guys, because I want people to understand these things, understand the differences, understand the, um, but my preference is that this grow at rate 
that it's grown um, and that none of these things grow at astronomical rates. I think hopefully they will grow a little more in line with the interest. Right? And I think, you know, we're up into the range of um, kind of like a mid-tier market cap coin here. And so I think that that's, that's kind of you know, a, an okay place to be. Um, I do want to see it grow, obviously, o- over time. But you know, if this, you know, next week were double the market cap, that would make me very, um, because I, I think it's very unlikely that there is double the traction, double the, the real interest in this a week from, um, I think, you know, going, going, this project is worth zero or worth $5 million. This is, you know, worth 500 million. In some ways that to me is more reasonable. It's like, I think there's a lot of potential behind the idea, but going from like, you know, 500 million to a billion or 5 billion or whatever, like that would scare that everything, everything. Yeah. I I don't want to see it grow overnight in that. They talk about the, you know, the the investment, like staircase up, elevator down, but this is elevator up and elevator down. Very right, right. Down. Yeah. Bottom basement. <laughs> yeah. But I, th- I think hopefully, but that's what we've seen though. Interestingly, right. Is that we have not seen the, the straight elevator down. Um, and, and we, we have seen a bit of an elevator up. I don't like how much of an elevator up. I wish, I wish it were, um, a, a staircase moving more towards like, I don't know, like a conveyor belt, <laughs> um, t- type situation where it like just becomes a lot smoother and more, more muted in both directions. Um, and, and, and we'll, we'll see if, if the community can navigate it in such a way that that is what happens. Maybe to finish off this conversation as to why the dynamics are like that. When, when Ryan showed the market cap, it showed something like 5 million to 600 million down to 100. Unlike other crypto assets that are like Bitcoin or Ether, or whatever, uh, there was no one that actually just purchased a, an asset and held it, experienced that exposure, right? The only way that you had that upside from 5 million to 604 million is if you were taking actions every step of the way to bear the risk every time uh, empty set dollar dropped below $1. And I don't actually think it's possible for someone to even actually have direct one-to-one exposure to the market cap of set dollar. Is that right? Ish. Ish. Um, You know, if you're you're staked in the Dow, Mm -hmm. um, you're going to get your share of rewards upside. But as we've seen for a lot of the early holders, um, if they're not participating in the coupons and taking on that risk or participating in the LP and taking taking on like essentially putting up additional capital, they're getting diluted out. Right. So like the the empty set squad, the kind of founding team that hit and first advanced the first epoch and, and received the first 100 EST as a reward, um, their ownership percentage has has dropped significantly over time because they've just been um, holding a stable coin because they've just been staking it right and so like that they have had tremendous growth right? right i think you know i think they're my understanding is somewhere around like 10 percent or so of the supply but like that's that's come down for 20 percent or initially 100 percent. but uh that comes down because all they're doing has been just staking. and so i think that is very healthy that you know people who are just long-term holders get some growth but they're being diluted out if they're not taking on additional risk taking additional action I think that's very healthy. And that's not something that you necessarily see through the basis cash like model, right? Where if you have fixed supply of those share tokens and you have the same ownership, you're always going to have that same ownership. And so I, I think that, that that to me doesn't feel like the the system that we necessarily want. For something like this, I think the idea that gradually over time, um, you know, we we uh, uh, improve the decentralization of ownership and it becomes flatter ownership, I think is one of the major 
uh, positive factors for empty cent dollar, because if this does become kind of the, the digital internet dollar, then hopefully it is very widely dispersed. Dan, would you say the, the price of pre or the supply of, pre uh, of, of empty cent dollar, <laughs> does that, that, that largely comes from people purchasing yes, so that when the time comes for them to stake buy bonds and burn it bond, that they have tools to be able to do it because you can't get senior, can't get the up, you don't have it. You have to purchase ESD so that you can be prepared to burn it comes time senior. And that actually increases the price of the token, their flaw. Well, actually, let me let me uh, put some nuance on that. So the, the way that you can receive, uh, yeah, the, the seniorage is to hold ESD and to stake it or to LP with it. Uh, so yes, that, that requires, if you don't have any, you need to buy some to be able to do that. Um, the problem is people do that over the peg and it drives the price up and it's not good to have that reflexive upside. So hopefully it gets sold back down very quickly. Um, the, the ideal thing from a systems perspective is that people buy in below the peg, so at a discount to a dollar, which has the dual effect of giving them the ability to capture some senior of a dollar, but also pushes it closer and almost makes that more of a self-fulfilling prophecy. And so that's the goal. And then the the other piece is this coupon system where you can burn and this currently, I think it's like a, about a 54% premium. So if you, uh, you know, burn, uh, I think a dollar or one ASD, you get like one, uh, you get like 2.1 coupons ish um right now which can be redeemed for ASD in the future but they will expire potentially in 30 days if you aren't able to redeem them. and so you're taking on risk but that's a way that you can get a lot more reward as well and so the coupon incentives hopefully not that existing ESD holders mm -hmm. then just burn for the coupons and hope the price goes back up the idea is that there should be now kind of like if you burn your ESD for coupons and do nothing else and the price is going back up, you're just gonna lose all your ASD. That's you you go to zero. Like sucks to be sucks to be you. So the idea is the incentive is then okay, well, you can do that. And if somebody else doesn't push the price back up, you better step into the market and buy some more ESD to get it back up to ensure that you can redeem those coupons and you don't get zero. Or as a new entrance, you come in, you buy ESD market where it's currently trading below a dollar, burn that to get like kind of a premium, premium from the coupons. And you know, that that becomes uh, kind of a reinforcement mechanism to drive the price back. So um, these things play, there's different kind of risk return profiles for taking different activities. But again, like I said, this is not like a basic beginner thing. I do not recommend people who are interested in this to play the coupon game unless they're very, very aware of what the, the trade-offs are associated with that. Um, and and there, there is that reliance though on net new buying to push it back up to a dollar. If there is not any net new buying and there is net selling, it does not return to the peg it needs to be net buying through to peg. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why I think it's very important that this not grow too quickly because if there is not interest enough buying pressure when it drops below, it's just never gonna get back by. So just everyone needs to be very aware of that think about the different dynamics as they participate in the system. So the, the fantastic thing about collateralized stable that there's no depend, die depends, they're back uncollateralized, don't have, but both vector, but both die, both have or. Um, are there any differences between uncollateralized stable oracle, oracle that die or large? Uh, so one of the things that I loved about the design for ESD is the way the oracle is done is it uses an eight hour time weighted average price pulled from the Uniswap ESD USDC. Wow. And so that is a really hard Oracle to manipulate. And it works because you don't need instant Oracle price for liquidations for something like MakerDAO, right? Like the fact that it's weighted over eight hours is fine. We want it to be robust to manipulation 
more than accurate in, in an exact like block or an exact instant. Um, and but this is a risk in my view is that it is um, reliance on USDC ESD Uniswap pool where the center foundation in theory could freeze all the USDC in that pool and therefore it's censored. And so I think the likelihood of that is relatively low, but certainly with some of the um, you know actions we've seen uh, from some government agencies recently, like I think it, it is not a zero risk thing. And so one of the things that has been discussed in the ESD community is, well, could we take advantage of the USDC keeps a very head and actually incentivize ESD ETH pool, which would be incredibly censorship resistance, and then combine the TWAP off the ESD ETH pool with the USDC pool, which is a very deep liquid pool. And if the Center Foundation wanted to, like the Center Foundation is like not going to nuke the USD in the ETH USDC, right? If they do that, like they're done, they're done so, right? Like USDC is done if they're going to, if they're going to nuke the ETH USDC Uniswap. And so that would give ESD a level of protection where it's like, you can't nuke our pool without nuking everything. And how are you going to nuke the ESD ETH pool? Like you can't, like that, that is about as censorship resistant as it gets. Um, so I think something like that, but then you lose the advantage. A, you've got now you know, trading from USDC into ESD, you've got double the transaction fees. Um, you also are incentivizing an LP pool that is not in theory a stable to stable pool. There is more impermanent loss involved in LPing for the ESD pool. So I don't know if that switch is gonna happen, but I think the fact that you can make this more censorship resistance um going and using eth as that really censorship resistant um asset in the pair like it's so cool that is possible and that's what gives me real hope for these assets is not that we want to reference um you know something that is censorable like usdc but it, it's the fact that you can actually find a way to, to reference it where it's useful but not be dependent on it in a way where you need it to be there for your system function. So it, it just one like observation is actually a much smaller problem for and is a crypto collateral. Like yes, if, if they're implemented in the right way, right? Because you can use the AM based oracles. We've seen a lot of people use AMM oracles in dumb ways that have led to hacks. But I, I, I think it's really hard to make it like an eight hour TWAP uh, on something that has millions of dollars, often tens of millions of dollars in liquidity, that that is something that's going to create Oracle problems. One observation, um, it's kind of been a recurring theme, definitely in Bankless, as we've been exploring all of this, is you know people ask the question of, well, why is this the first time we've seen empty set dollar? Like, why didn't we see it two years ago or, th or three years ago? It's really interesting what you said there. I mean, a lot of this has only been possible with the money protocols that we have now, right? So first of all, we had to have this thing called Ethereum, of course. And then we had to have this thing, this money layer called Uniswap. Uniswap had to build up enough liquidity uh, and V2 had to ship. So we get this time weighted uh, like average so we can have an Oracle. And now we see the birth of algorithmic stable coins. Like it's this, this, um, like tech tree almost that had to be built uh, for us Absolutely. to get to this place, right? It's like, why didn't we have this three years ago? It wouldn't. It wasn't possible three years ago. We didn't have the. We didn't have the technology. Absolutely, and so, and so I think you know one of the 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 hardest things I think about being in this space as a builder and as an investor is understanding timing and the dependencies um, around all these things, right? There's so much stuff where. Um, you know, look back at, at stuff in 2017 and like say 
That stuff was so ridiculous. And yes, most of it was. But there are some things that failed in 2017 or, you know, on Bitcoin failed in 2015, 2013, whatever, that it wasn't because the idea was bad. It's because the timing was wrong. The the necessary ecosystem components weren't there yet and were not or, or were not mature enough yet. Um, it's it's the same way with the internet, right? That, you know, the, the big examples of like the dot-com boom around uh, was like pets.com and webvan. And then a couple decades later, we've got, uh, uh, we've got, you know, chewy.com and Instacart. It's so like the, the, the concepts were not wrong. It was just the timing was completely off the, all, all the other things that needed to happen in the, in the ecosystem, in the world had not happened yet. And so I'm super excited to look back at ideas and it's, it's hard for me because I can be like, okay, I've saw that didn't work, saw that, didn't work. Right. And, and constantly I remember, okay, well, it didn't work then, why? And is that reason that it didn't work still valid or has the ecosystem grown and changed in such a way that maybe it's valid now or maybe it can work now or maybe it'll work a year from now or two or three years from now. I'm not sure. And the timing right is really hard. Uh, it is so energizing to work with teams that are willing to try these crazy things um, and are, are, are building what, you know, this, this is the the new global financial infrastructure that we are privileged to be part of witnessing and helping to bring into reality. And I, I do think that there is something in this space and, I, I, and maybe it's empty step dollar. Maybe it's it's one of these other things that exist. Maybe it's one of the things that have yet to launch and you know, we're actively looking at um, other things that are, are doing different approaches in this space because something here I believe is likely to work. Maybe it's not this cycle, maybe it's in a future cycle, but I think the promise is so great and the potential is there that I want to try these experiments because there, there is massive, massive benefit to the entire ecosystem if it can be done and done right. Dan, well, I can think of no better person to be at the helm of the ship steering the direction of uh, algorithmic uncollateralized stable. So thank you for, for providing that service to the ecosystem. Uh, it's, it's the start of 2021, and this seems to be a very promising year for the growth of uncollateralized stable coins. Maybe you could give us some of your predictions, your goals, your aspirations for the ecosystem around uncollateralized stable coins for this year. Yeah. So I, I'm hopeful that I think there was an earlier question around like, is this a winner take all market? Like, no, the same way that like, you know, we collateralized centralized stable coins is not a winner take all market. I think there can be multiple ones that gain significant market share. Um, so I hope that we I expect that we will see um, some of these at least briefly cross the billion dollar uh, kind of circulation or billion dollar market cap around some of these things. Um, I, I think potentially a lot higher. Uh, I think we will see some absolutely implode and go to near zero. Uh, what I do think we will start to see is we'll start to see more integrations where there, it does become viable to use a flat curve-like AMM for some of these things because they show that they can stay close enough to a dollar over a long enough period of time that it makes sense to have that flattened AMM curve. Uh, I think that we'll start to see some of them. Cream ESD got added to Cream recently, so, so it can be borrowed and lent there to see stuff like that that's advancing. Um, I'm, I'm actually very interested to see how some of these things will start to work across different layer two solutions or potentially other chains too, but I'm more interested in, in the layer two solutions. And uh, I think there's a different challenge set with moving algo stable coins into layer two solutions versus something like USDC, which you can start you know, minting them directly in the L2. Uh, so I think we'll see some experiments around that. Uh, 
you know, I think we're going to see uh, more experimentation around games to uh, essentially incentivize people to maintain the peg tight, less around growth and more around tight pegs. And there's another project um, that, that I've been working with called Fay that is experimenting with this idea of protocol-owned liquidity uh, and actually having a lot of essentially LPs directly by the protocol itself um, mint and burn right tightly around that dollar. Uh, it, it's an approach that I haven't seen anyone else do something similar to that. So I'm excited to see that get live. I think for all of these things, right, there's this interesting dichotomy between what works in theory and what works in practice. And someone recently stated somewhere on Twitter, like it's the stuff that works in practice, but not in theory. That's the most interesting. Um, And I think, you know, Bitcoin is like that. Ethereum is like that. And so there may be some things like that in this algorithmic stablecoin space that could be really exciting. Uh, Outside of algo stablecoin, something that I'm really excited about, like I said, L2 adoption. Uh, I'm I'm very bullish on. Um, uh, Big fan of the the I'm an investor in, in optimism and think the optimistic rollup approach is great. I think some of the advances on ZK rollups have also been very impressive and excited to see some of those um, getting more usage too. And uh, uh, something that's really, I think, going to come to the fore and is still below the radar for a lot of people is uh, what used to be referred to as minor extracted value. And as now there's an attempt to trans- translate it and call it uh, maximum extractable value. Uh, so it can be done by validators of all sorts, not just you know, proof of work miners. And uh, I think people are not generally aware of how much uh, these games are being played right now in the mempool and how much value essentially being lost uh, to users in the DeFi ecosystem versus you know essentially these arbitragers who are taking advantage of their pure technology in both mining and in, in mempool monitoring. And so we're going to see that get more democratized this year. People are going to recognize it as a problem. It's going to be talked about, I think, you know, in similar ways to impermanent loss is talked about where if you're active in the ecosystem, you at least need to be aware of the risks and costs and dangers with it. And then more and more teams will be trying to build protocols that are uh, MEV resistant at the very least. So I'm excited to see that play out as a new trend. And again, I you know always keep coming back to it. Um, this kind of like super fluid collateral thesis, just maximizing capital efficiency. I think Andre is doing some really, Sir uh, has some really cool stuff that they're going to be doing in their V2 that moves in this direction. Ave has been doing some fantastic stuff, including Uniswap key shares as part of the kind of lending and borrowing system as well. Uh, just more and more capital efficiency is I think gonna gonna allow this whole space to keep moving forward. And I think leverage is, is in some ways a scary word, but really uh, let the, the ecosystem grow a lot more but make it a lot more useful because you'll have much deeper liquidity for trying to trade, you know, borrow, lend, do options, do various derivatives. Uh, all of this collateral is gonna kind of come together and, and come out of a handful of pools that are gonna be super, super efficient. And we're, it's taking a little bit longer than I thought, but I think 2021 is going to be the year where everything is super fluid by default. That, and then also paired with a bunch of new money coming into 2021 is set up to be a bang up year for crypto, probably our biggest ever. Dan, thanks for coming on State of the Nation and helping us learn more about uncollateralized stablecoins. I've already learned a ton. So, so thank you for your time and appreciate uh, you coming on and giving us your thoughts. 
Always a pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, guys. Risks and disclaimers. Of course, I have to say this. ETH is risky. So is crypto. So is DeFi. So are uncollateralized stable coins. Guys, we're on the frontier, but this is the frontier of the frontier. So be careful with these money games. We're headed west. It's not for everyone, but thanks for joining us on another episode of Bankless State of the Nation.